Hello there and welcome to our broadcast preview podcast. Callum Williams here, bathed and baking in the sunshine here in Minnesota. A glorious day, so we thought we'd do the podcast outside. Um, alongside me, as always, the man with the ripest smile in Major League Soccer, Jamie Watson. And also, we are delighted to be joined by the uh, World Cup broadcaster, uh, in my opinion, who is the... Uh, footballing queen of Minnesota. Kindred East St. Auburn returns. How are you? I'm great. Yeah, glad to be back and in the swing of things. I'm loving the sound of the traffic. <laughs> I'm yeah. not, if we're lucky, maybe we'll get some sirens, just some gnat sound, pumping it in. <laughs> some proper gnat sound, yeah, just to prove that we're outside. Yeah. Yeah. Some real ambiance yeah. to the podcast today. This isn't today. like Major League where you got people like, you know, hitting the, the, the wooden thing and creating a sound no. of the crack of the bat. This is real life. This is We're real outside. life. <laughs> on, the, on the glorious patio here at the Golden Valley uh, offices for Minnesota United. Um, realistically, we've been forced out here because there's nowhere to record. But uh, <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to get people to realize. But hey, you know, it, it, it's all right. It's a glorious day. Anyway, talking of glory, let's talk all about Minnesota United, shall we? As we eagerly await the... Uh, draw for the Open Cup semi-finals. Of course, Minnesota United thumping New Mexico United by six goals to one. Uh, Kindred East St. Aubin, first of all, your reaction to that result on Wednesday evening? Well, first of all, I was a little bit nervous when they went down early in that match. And um, I was sitting not too far from Dr. McGuire, and he wasn't none too pleased with the first goal given up. But the response from Minnesota United, and then I was texting uh, with Mark Followell from FC Dallas. I said, hey, when you guys played New Mexico and you lost two to one, you missing a ton of your regulars? And he said, no, maybe one or two. So I think that just proves to you what Minnesota United was capable of in that match and the absolute beatdown and the performance they put on and um, that, you know, the hat trick from Angela Rodriguez in the first half, the depth. And again, I think it just proves the, the role that this team is on right now and the confidence they are absolutely feeling it. And uh, it's going to go right into FC Dallas this Saturday. Fabulous evening. But Jimmy Watson, it's been a really intriguing last couple of weeks for Minnesota United. 26 goals in the last five games. And one can't help but wonder how much further this can go. It's been a fabulous little spell for Minnesota. It really has in Minnesota United for all of the, the points in which in the middle third of the season there that we were talking about the goal scoring woes that they were having they have seemed to put those to bed and they have gone from strength to strength each game and although this matchup was against the usl championship side in the quarterfinal of the lamar hunt us open cup all the other matchups have been against some very good opposition um, both home and on the road they were scoring goals and and getting gritty performances getting points getting results on a nine point week minnesota united unbeaten now six straight games all competitions the best run minnesota united has had since they've been in major league soccer and it's been an absolute joy to watch uh last night's game uh, i had the pleasure of being down on the sidelines so i got to be right there next to adrian heath um it was a pleasure from the 10th minute on mm. 10 minutes into the game when it was 1-0 uh for new mexico united you started thinking he's not well pleased with this start because he made seven changes to the lineup in Montreal with the matchup against New Mexico United in mind and also just a convoluted schedule. And he wanted to make sure that he put his best team out there for this matchup. And I think that shows a lot of respect to what New Mexico United had done, as Kendra said, to FC Dallas, to Colorado Rapids before that. He didn't want to be on the wrong side of that uh, losing result 
to a USL championship side, but also the respect he has for the tournament and how he sees that going into this draw that is just moments away that is the that has started now that we have on the live stream in front of us. Um, he sees this as a real opportunity, and, and we'll know in just a few moments if Minnesota United will be hosting or on the road to Portland Timbers on August 7th. But, man, down to the final four. 84 teams started. Minnesota United, one of the final four left. Really intriguing stuff for Minnesota United. And before we get the result of that, Kendra, as Jimmy mentioned, 26 goals in six games for Minnesota United. Why now? Why are there so many attacking moves working for Minnesota United at the moment? Well, I honestly think it, a lot of it just has to do purely with confidence. I mean, we were just waiting. We were waiting for Darwin Quintero to really get going from a goal-scoring perspective. And how was he going to link up with Angelo Rodriguez? And, um, you know, it, it, for a long time, it was like, okay, he can't score from anything but the penalty spot. He was just maybe trying a little bit too hard, trying to do a little bit too much, not trusting his teammates. And I said this the other day, you know, not – being afraid to give the ball and know he's going to get it back from his teammates. I think it's just a different level. And once once the ball starts going in the back of the net, I think it's a confidence perspective for this team and for this group and from an attacking point of view. Because scoring goals was never the question mark for this team coming in to this season. It was never, that wasn't the piece people were wondering about the puzzle. It was always the back line. It was always, what are they going to do defensively? It wasn't about if they were going to be able to score goals. So then when they went dry for a little bit, it was shocking, especially with the front four and the front six that you could put out there. And I think Adrian Heath was probably a little bit baffled from that perspective, um, especially since he's kind of an attacking-minded coach. I mean, he's sort of the, the striker whisperer, if you will, with some of these players that he's, he's gone, gone to bat for in the past and worked with in the past. So I, I honestly think it's about confidence at this point for this group. And once they got on a roll it's going to be tough to slow him down. And, and goals start going in that wouldn't have gone in before. There was times where you, you felt like Darwin couldn't buy a goal mm. and that it, they should have been going in and they just weren't. Hitting the post, maybe a nick on the way through, whatever it might be. And now those are falling for Angelo, for Darwin, and for others. Mason Toy getting in on the fold. Hassani Dotson, an absolute stud right now. I know he's playing outside back, but in the attack, scoring goals, serving balls in. You know, I, I just think this... Uh, the confidence and the winning does a lot. And I heard Chase Gasper say the same thing at training today. It's like amazing what, what winning can do for you at any level in any sport. The attacking waves, Jimmy Watson, have been in full flow over the last couple of weeks for Minnesota United. One man who needed, maybe was even borderline desperate for a goal, was Miguel Ibarra. Mm. And he claimed his first at Allianz Field on Wednesday against New Mexico. How much will that do for him moving forward? Uh, when you're a player that comes off of a career year with eight goals, eight assists that Miguel Abar had last year, uh, confidence is riding high for him. And then you get into this barren spell. Cal, you said this statistic the other day that was almost surprising, but then when I went back and checked, I thought, yeah, that's absolutely brilliant that you've gone, had to go that far back into the, the reservoir of the, the notes to find this. And um, it had been since March 9th since he scored a goal in Major League Soccer. Um, and look, he still hasn't scored in Major League Soccer yet. But if you look at the fact that he got his first goal at Allianz Field last night in the Open Cup, you saw what it meant to him, but you saw what it meant to the supporters. Uh, we always talk about how well-educated this group is of, of supporters Minnesota United has. It was the sixth goal in a matchup in which it was 5-1 and a half. By all you know, intents and purposes, you shouldn't have really seen that crazy of a reaction for a goal. But the fact it was Miguel Ibarra at home in front of the Wonderwall, it was this perfect storm of a 
wonderful occasion. And Minnesota United got their goal scoring back from Miguel Abar that they've been desperately wanting and haven't gotten in a while. And what a big moment for him. And now I look to see is maybe that being the, the one that breaks the dam. And hopefully Minnesota United can go from strength to strength here with Miguel Abar scoring goals and getting back to his old ways. Another player that has given Adrian Heath plenty more food for thought, Kendra, is Mason Toy, mm -hmm. who seems to be finding the back of the net at the right time. Well, and to me, it's about his actual finishes. I mean, the, the finishes and the... I've never thought Mason Toy's lacked, lacked confidence. Anybody who watches him and anybody who's ever talked to him, he's not lacking confidence. You know, he's a, he's a player that he puts it out there, and uh, he, he has a little bit too much swagger, we thought, a little bit too much ego maybe early on in his career being so young. But ultimately, it, for me, it's about his confidence, his finishes. He's listening. He's learning. And prior to that, in his first year, I don't think you could have said that about him. He, he wasn't willing to listen to Ian Fuller. He wasn't willing to listen to Adrian Heath. He always had something, a comment, something to come back with. Mm. But now I think he's taking it all in. He's soaking it. He knows that he can learn from everybody on this team. And if there's one thing we all know in every business, whether it's broadcasting or sports, you can learn from the people that are around you. And if you don't learn from the people around you, then you're, you're making a mistake. And I think yeah. Mason Toy has done that. Well, the smiles around the table have gotten a My little wider. My watch was wider. just blowing up. I can just feel it going. Din, 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 Let's din, go, din, din, boys. Uh, Let's because go. Minnesota United will host the Open Cup semi-finals against Portland Timbers. Uh, Jamie Watson, I'm, I'm not going to straight away label Minnesota the favourites now, but but playing at home it will undoubtedly give them a much bigger advantage. Of course it will. Boys and girls at home listening to this or in your car, wherever you are, you should have a reason to smile because the Allianz field effect could be the X factor in this matchup. You've got Portland Timbers who have been climbing up the Western Conference table, and I think the big moment in which that they secured the signature of Brian Fernandez, and then he goes on. Cal, what was the stat you had? You had a brilliant stat. He, he broke an MLS record. He was the first player from overseas to score five goals in five games consistently in MLS. Well said. I would have butchered that stat, so I'm glad <laughs> you said it, not me. But Brian, Brian Fernandez has been an incredible signing. You're starting to see the, res the resurgence of Diego Valeri. Not that he really went anywhere, but to, by his standards, he wasn't having the, the best start to the season that he would have hoped for, that Timbers fans would have hoped for. And so they're catching a bit of form right now. The Portland Timbers starting to make their way up the Western Conference table. And I, and I really think that this is a team that is going to be in the playoffs when it's all said and done. Right. The $50 million renovation to Providence Park has uh, been a massive um, hindrance to the beginning of the season because they started, what, Kendra, was it the first 12 games on the road? Oh. First 12 games on the road. Now Portland Timbers find themselves on, you know, 23 points, sitting four points out of the playoffs right now. But look, in the Western Conference, that can change. The wind could blow in, and six days, seven days later, you could be right in a playoff spot, right? And so um, I think Portland will be there, thereabouts. But what's significant about this as well is Minnesota United play the Portland Timbers in league play on August 4th at Allianz Field. And then the two teams will meet three days later on August 7th at Allianz Field. Mm. So that is going to be... friendly confines of NSC to train in between. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and hopefully they, they enjoy Minnesota in August. They'll be here for, you know, just short of a week. But I think um, it'll be interesting to see now, what does Gio Savare say? What does Adrian Heath do in that first matchup, in the league matchup, knowing that there's a semifinal matchup three days later against mm. the same opponent in the same venue? Rinse and repeat for a couple of days later. That is one of the most interesting dynamics to this all. But the fact that both games are at Allianz Field, 
I don't know, guys. What do you do if you're Adrian Heath? Do you put the importance on the league play or do you put it on the semifinals? Because I know what I would do. It's crazy. Even in the next couple of weeks, what could happen in the, in the standings and just yeah. an MLS regular season play? Where will both those teams be at? What will be the importance of the league game at that point? You know, as far as who's That's above the point. line and what in what yeah. position at that point? Because I agree. Like, you've gone you know what, to the wall on U.S. Mm-hmm. Open Cup if you're Adrian Heath. You've put it all out there. You are going for it. So at this point, you'd, you'd be nuts, in my opinion, to pull back and not go for it in the U.S. Open Cup because you've put it all out there. And fortunately for Adrian Heath and the club, you succeeded to this point making those changes in Montreal. Your team went out there and going, hey, you know what? You throw out whatever starting 11 you want. We're still going to get that victory on the road against Montreal. And now, you know, going out against New Mexico with clearly your favorite starting 11 at this point in the season, minus, you know, Roma Metzenaer still being away. So I think he's going to go all for it, but we will have to see where are they above that line and what will happen happen in the next couple of weeks before the first league matchup and, and the U.S. Open Cup game. I looked at that game as well, and it, it's so easy now to identify every game as, as beyond yes. gargantuan mm-hmm. at this part of the season now because 14 of the next 15 for Minnesota are against Western Conference yeah. opposition. It will be so intriguing to see where both sides are just before that Open Cup game. But I think because Portland Timbers have got the majority of their remaining fixtures at home. Mm-hmm. I do think they will also try and snatch as much as they can on the road as well. Yep. I, that, that's going to be so intriguing. That that puts even more emphasis on that game, in my opinion. And, and Kendra, the one thing that, that Jamie and I were talking about, particularly after the victory over San Jose mm-hmm. uh, a couple of uh, a couple of days ago, it, it did feel, and I'm interested to get it your opinion. It was only like a week ago, and it feels like it was about three weeks it ago. Does, it does, it does. Seriously, right? What is time, time is <laughs> so is relative right now when it's Saturday, Wednesday games. It was Wednesday a week ago games. yesterday. It's like crazy. Um, I'm interested to get your perspective here, particularly because you, you weren't in and around the club over the last couple of weeks because you were off doing the World Cup. We noticed, and I think it's safe to, to say this, after the victory over San Jose, it felt as low, it, it, it felt as though... And it felt like there was a changing of identity for Minnesota United. No longer were they a team either, you know, towards the bottom end of the West or if they had any sort of hopes at the playoff, they were hanging on by the very thread of their nails. It, it was, you know, this team is now a team you would expect to be in and around the areas where they are. And now into the semifinals of the Open Cup, no longer are Minnesota United the the disappointments and, and the, the franchise that many people would make fun of anymore. Well, and I think maybe in the past, if they were above the playoff line to start the season, they they started off on a, on a positive winning at Vancouver, winning at San Jose, but then not so great LA Galaxy. You kind of just always were waiting for the other shoe to drop in that first few months of the season. You'd get above the playoff line, but you were always kind of wondering how long are they going to stay there, regardless of who was coming up on the schedule, regardless if your games were home or on the road, Eastern, Western Conference. And I think it's amazing what how you win certain games can do for a club and can do for a team. It's not just about getting the W's. It's about how you get the W's, how you come together as a group. And I think that's maybe the change in identity. It's not that all of a sudden there's this massive tactical shift, this change in the way Adrian Heath wants to play, the style he wants to play, how he wants to use the players he has on this roster. And I, I mean, it may sound lame, but I just feel like it's honestly about a confidence and a belief. And when you win certain games the way you win them, then it changes the identity in that sense, that now this team has a swagger about them, like Atlanta did, like 
LAFC has when they've come into the league, a swagger that this is where we belong, this is where we need to be, and it doesn't matter who comes into our house or where we go on the road and what 11 we throw on the field, like as in Montreal, that they're going to find a way to get the job done and play for each other. And they've done it not just one week. You know, because I think, let's go back to 2018 when they went on the road to Orlando City. And a massive win at that point. Everybody, and you could sense it, that group was doing it for Adrian Heath and for Kevin Molino and willing that team to win. But this is like, this isn't a one-off. This is multiple weeks now in a row where they have put these kind of victories out there where you can just sense a swagger and a confidence. And I, to me, that's the identity change that I see, not so much tactically on how he's using the group and how he's using the players. Yes, Chase has come in, Roman is out you know, right now, and Hassani continues to thrive. But overall, I just think the identity change for me is just a confidence and a swagger that this group has had because they're doing it week in and week out. Jimmy, let me ask you about Kevin Molino. Two goals and three assists in the last the four games. The Gold Cup had to have done wonders. Yeah, you oh, think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, when you go off for international duty, and, and mind you, I, my experience with international duty was, you know, 17s, 20s, 20s. It was never the full team. But I can tell you this, the speed of play at which you play at an international level, you get used to that, right? So you go away for a tournament for the Gold Cup for a couple weeks. Trinidad obviously ending their tournament earlier than you know, let's say the likes of Jamaica and Panama, U.S., Mexico, all them. So um, for them, they they were only in competition for a couple weeks. But you go to camp for a couple weeks with your teammates as well in preparation for the tournament, and you get used to the speed of play in standard. And there's a reason at the international level the game is just so much faster. It's still the exact same players you watch week in and week out, but the speed at which the game is played is the difference. Why is that? Because you start to understand at the international level, it's one and two touch at most. You, you're not going to dribble through three and four guys apart from maybe a few highlight reel runs. But for every one highlight you see, there's, you know, uh, a low light reel of 10 times that a guy's tried to do that within the course of a tournament that has gotten intercepted and gone the other way. And then there's also highlights of the coach screaming his head off. Right. So, I mean, it's you don't see those plays. You end up seeing the ones on YouTube that that come off. But very rarely does it come off the way that makes a highlight. And so to that point, it's not so much of an individualistic game at the international level. It's much more of a team game and making sure that you keep the balance within the group and teams are patient and methodical enough to probe during a course of a game and during the course of possession to wait until one person doesn't do their job defensively within a shift. And then they go and penetrate and, and attack that space in which the person maybe doesn't shift over defensively or is slow reading the game or doesn't pass a player on properly and a player gets lost in the space. And sometimes those, those finite differences are the differences in an outcome and advancing out of a group stage and advancing on a, you know, into a knockout phase. And you saw it at the women's world cup simple mistakes. I mean, Spain tried to play a game that was frustrating to the United States in the women's world cup. Right. And the U S finally were able to get their breakthrough on finite difference of a, of a, the way the referee saw a penalty decision or not. And that was really ultimately the difference in that game. But you look at that happens across the board in the men's and women's game at the international level. And so when you're in and around that setting for three, four, five weeks, that mentality kind of shifts and change and you start to pick up your level. The pace of MLS is, is staggering to take your word, Cal. It, it is a fast paced, high energy, hundred miles an hour at all times. But the international level is that, but with teams making fewer mistakes as a group collectively in a block of four with the back four, the midfield four or collectively with the defensive six. So when you are in that 
sort of setting, you can't help but have to elevate your game in order to maintain and in order to thrive and to get a starting spot at the international level for your respective country. And so Kevin Molino's in and around that. Then he comes back to Minnesota United. Mind you, we were seeing Kevin off the back, right, right before the Gold Cup, off the back of recovery from an ACL tear, right. which he had to have a little bit of um, cleanup work in the offseason that prolonged his recovery a little bit longer than, let's say, Ethan Finley had. So I think we had the mentality of what Kevin was before the ACL tear. And then because the recovery was a little bit longer, we hadn't quite seen that speed of play that we knew was there before. And then he goes to Gold Cup. I think that accelerates his speed up process that we were getting a glimpse of that we had saw right before he left. And then since he's come back, he's been phenomenal. His play in practice, his play in games. Um, this is vintage Kevin Molino. And what is vintage Kevin Molino? It's a player that reads the game faster, gets into good spaces, good pockets of play, combines with one and two touches, has a, eyes in the back of his head, uh, you know, to have the awareness of where his teammates are. And then when he gets into the final third, can he create for himself in tight spaces with lots of defenders around and add goals to his game, add assists to his game. And you're starting to see that. He's gotten a goal now. And um, let's see, the, the first matchup he came back with against FC Cincinnati, then against uh, San Jose, he gets the, the winner there. And, you know, he, he had an opportunity to score again in uh, Montreal. So, I mean, he didn't take that one at the end. But you look at it, Kevin Molino is, is as close to back as you could say, as one player. And I think international play helps speed that process up. Sorry, I'm burning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had to get some sunscreen. Just one arm. I just inhaled the fumes. Sorry, just yeah. that one arm. Like, <laughs> I, 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 Was that SPF 125? Uh, close enough, yeah. Uh, as you were talking, I could just feel my arm just roasting. So, Welcome sorry. to Minnesota in the summer, Cal. This is what we live for. We That's live for I these said. sunburns. I, you know, I said Aston Villa is going to melt this next week. Oh, they absolutely. the worst time to come. I mean, it's like 90, 94 All every day. All those hasty English-Irish lads. Exactly. Oh, my word. For yeah. full context, I just pulled up the weather. Do we want to take a guess of what it is right now? I only like 78. 82? 84. You'd be terrible at prices, right, Kendra? You would have gone slightly over, so if I, I would have, uh, you would have been closest. You would have gotten, it's 79 right now. There's no chance at 79. My word. It feels 79 like here, yeah. It's so you said 78. Yeah, she'd be brilliant at prices, right? Yeah, just wait until. Come on down. Week. It'd be ding, ding, ding. You'd be winning the 100 bucks from Drew Carey. Oh, my word. Okay. It's Cal. It's, a, it's, it's, it's not that bad let's wait till we go to houston in august you spent a lot of time Dallas in spain in, august. in the summers didn't you i did but yeah, there you go. i spent a lot of time in the shade so. <laughs> under the umbrella <laughs> on the beaches <laughs> little cheeky cocktail it was fabulous uh, anyway uh right let's um let's talk about somewhere where it was very very hot over the course mm -hmm. of the last month uh, kendra you were right in mm -hmm. the thick of it the women's world cup mm -hmm. um I think it's safe to say none of us were really too surprised that the U.S. emerged victorious. First of all, let me get your opinion on the amount of attention the national team got, both good and bad. What, what did you make of, of it all? Well, first of all, I think if you ask them, you would any kind of attention is good attention, and they don't care. They'll take the criticism. They'll take the, you know, people piling on, whether it's about their celebrations or whether it's about too much celebrating or whether, whatever, their tactics, how they're going about things, if they've got people visiting hotels, you know, scouting out the possible future location. I mean, this is a group that I think actually thrives off of that kind of attention and they weren't going to be misplaced by it. And so by no means was the United States of America ever underdogs in this tournament from a talent perspective to win it. But I think the fact that they were able to kind of wade through all that noise and thrive off of it, 
um, the constant criticism, every press conference, and even, you know, after the, the statements came out again from January, whenever it was with President Trump and Megan Rapinoe, and they came to light in the middle of the World Cup, they do a match day minus one press conference, and it's Jill Allison, a player, every time. Well, Megan Rapinoe was right up there on the stage, and they're not afraid, U.S. Soccer and Megan Rapinoe, to face the music if necessary, and I think that uh, whether it was the tea-sipping celebration or too much celebrating in the Thailand goals, um, whether it was comments, you know, made prior about the, the issues with um, President Trump, they just waltzed on right through and do what they do, and the depth on that team was so incredible. Um, the fact that you can rest Becky Sauerbrunn in a, your first group stage match and you can rest, you know, Megan Rapinoe in a in a semifinal game, like those kind of things, that just tells you all you need to know about about that team. And it was really fun to watch and fun to see the hype. Of all of the other teams, though, I'm, I'm intrigued to get your thoughts here, Kendra, because I, I must admit, I, I was very, not surprised, but I, I was supremely impressed with, with England. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought France were very good. I'm a big fan of Le Sommet. I thought mm-hmm. she was great. I thought Henri mm-hmm. in the middle was fabulous mm-hmm. as well. But um, who who came the closest to challenging the United States, in your opinion? Um, actually, I think it was England. I would have said England or France um, before they played each other. And then once I saw actually England in person and kind of their mindset going in and um, Phil Neville and his approach with this group and with this team and the way he went about his business 18 months ago when he was hired and got the job, um, I would say England matched them the best, like for like. They went out on the front foot. They weren't trying to sit back. They weren't trying to defend. They weren't trying to counter. You know, even Netherlands in the final, you know, Jill Ellis was like, oh, we know this is a possession-oriented team. They're not going to sit back and counter. They're going to play in front of us. They, they want the ball. They want the ball to possess it and go forward. But then maybe that's your game plan. But once you actually get on the field against the United States, it doesn't always come to fruition. It all sounds nice. But once you actually are faced with those wingers, those marking backs, those outside backs that go forward, that attacking front three, it's a different animal. And I thought England was the best at trying to match them like for like mm. and had the confidence, I think, to do it. No, it wasn't England's best game. It wasn't France's best game. But I thought from a tactical standpoint and a game plan standpoint, do I think Phil Neville got a few decisions wrong in yeah. the starting lineup? Absolutely. Should yes. Fran Kirby have been starting in the middle? Absolutely. Hell yes. Like, <laughs> what are you thinking? You know, she was the one of the best players for the entire tournament. She is the cog in the midfield. And um, so I did think he tried to maybe overthink a few things. But like for like, I thought England was the best team to face the United States. Jeremy, what did you make of the tournaments? I thought it was an incredible job, first off, by Fox of showcasing this tournament showcasing women's soccer on the world stage. And I think this could be a turning point, this exact tournament, much like we still talk about the 1999 Women's World Cup as a big turning point, kind of the the first real head-turning moment for women's soccer. And, of course, there's a a long history of women's soccer before that. But when you first think about it, what's the first thought? Brandi Chastain, 99, winning that World Cup. it, It was an iconic moment. And I think this may be an iconic moment for women's soccer going forward for much of the many reasons that Kendra mentioned, both on the field and off the field. Because I think this tournament and this group of women sort of summed up where we are maybe in a society and what mentality you can have when you can face that. Is there going to be adversity thrown your way in, in life in this day and age? Of course, in a multitude of ways. That happened to the women's team before the tournament during the tournament, Mm -hmm. and some would say it will still continue on for the women after the tournament. Yet, they put on their bravest faces, they rolled up their socks, rolled up their sleeves, went to work, did their very best to represent themselves on the field and off the field, moved the needle 
both from a soccer playing standpoint and a talking point in a discussion point over many factors, more so than maybe any team has ever done in the history of any sport. And I think where we will be in 20 years with women's soccer from where we were 20 years ago after that 99 World Cup team, when we look back to this 2019 Women's World Cup team, this Women's World Cup championship, where will we be in 2039? And it's gonna be another moment where we look back and say this was maybe a big turning point for that. So in the short term, they got the job done. They put another star above the crest. The first ever back-to-back World Cup champions, a fourth World Cup championship overall for the US Women's National Team. But more so than that, they are on the tip of the tongue of everybody on the field, off the field. And ultimately, I think that's what most of those 23 women in the staff and everybody that believed in them wanted the most was to be successful this month, but then be successful going forward. And I think they've set off the tone for that. And I'm interested to see where it goes from here. But I really, really think this is a tournament that will not soon be forgotten, if ever. Why? I don't know. But... All I can think of in 20 years' time, we're all going to be in our 50s. Ugh. I don't know why. <laughs> I just 50s? I'm going to be nearly 60. Cal, you're going to be like late better. 30s. <laughs> yeah. Cal, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, okay. Uh, let's refocus on domestic football here in the U.S., shall we? Um, let's talk about Columbus Crew briefly. Um, mm. Languishing within the basement mm. of the Eastern Conference, having a torrid season it's safe to say no doubts Kendra they had to make a couple of moves during this window the window's barely been open Mm -hmm. and already they've got four new bodies Romario Williams uh, Louis Diaz has come in as a young DP Aloy Room the goalkeeper from Curacao and announced this morning on Thursday Jordan Hamilton has joined them from Toronto FC Um, this is this is something that, that the crew needed to do but I think we're all surprised about how aggressively they've started this window. Well, I think they they had to do something because no one, at least I didn't predict that they would be floundering at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, just sitting above FC Cincinnati, newcomer FC Cincinnati at this point in the season. I think everyone felt like it was going to be a tough task to replace Burhalter and the system he had and how everybody knew their roles and exactly what they needed to do. And at at every moment of time, like where they needed to pass the ball when they were in a certain position on the field. And you heard rave reviews about Caleb Porter and coming in as a head coach about how he still had a very distinct style of play and way he wanted them to play, but gave them a little bit more freedom to make decisions at different points on the field and in positions on the field. So you felt like, okay, early on, maybe going to be some ups and downs, some growing pains. He's got to get them playing the way he wants them to play. They've had very much a similar roster as they did in 2018. You've got the whole, you know, save the crew, saved the crew, supporter banter that's always been going on, and you felt like that would carry a little bit momentum. But then to find themselves in this position, sitting at second to last in the Eastern Conference above Cincinnati, you felt like they had to make a splash. They had to make a statement. The new ownership group, I mean, we go down the list of reasons why they should be better than they are right now. And sometimes it comes to the point where it's just, if you don't make a move and you don't make a statement at a certain point in the season, you may lose everybody. I don't care how great saved, saved the crew is. Like they had to make some changes. They had to make some moves and bolster this roster. And um, you're right. We're a couple days in to this, this transfer window and already you're kind of lighting the world on fire here. And it only, I just wonder what else is to come. Yeah. What, what have they been working on that we don't even, that we haven't even some, seen come to fruition? Because clearly this has been in the works prior to when the window actually like, you know, they could Open. actually make the deal. Um, before we get into the weeds of 
Jordan Hamilton joining from Toronto. Patrick Mullins went the other way, by the way. Um, Jimmy, what, why, why do I, why do I feel disappointed for Jordan Hamilton? He's a Toronto boy, mm-hmm. but, but why do I get an element of distaste about this trade? Maybe because Jordan Hamilton goes from a situation in Toronto where he's behind Josie Altador, and by all intents and purposes, when he gets his opportunities, he's been sort of a super sub in that role. But when Josie is making millions and millions of dollars in that group, and they're always looking to add any sort of number 10, any sort of number nine to the group, they're always a team that's looking to buy in the attacking third. It was always going to be difficult for Jordan Hamilton to really truly break through in his hometown team. Okay, so now you go to Columbus Crew. Oh, yeah, there's also another number nine that has just been elevated to a designated player as an American, right. which few far in between happen in this league. So now you move away from your hometown team that you've contributed to and you've been a part of some very successful groups with to Columbus for said reasons, Kendra just said, who's wallowing second to last. And if you looked at the latest power rankings on MLSsoccer.com, they actually have them dead last in the power rankings right now. For what, take that for what it's worth. That's always with a grain of salt, but... Jordan Hamilton, I assume, will find himself in the same spot, which is the number two or maybe sometimes number three, depending on form forward. And and with the U.S. men's national team only having a few friendlies here and there for the rest of 2019, it doesn't really seem as though you'll lose Zardes for long stretches of times, maybe apart from injury, touch wood that that doesn't happen. But so Jordan Hamilton now has to go and re invent himself within a new club and, and start to develop that, that chemistry with new teammates. But, but also as well, Jay, do, do you not feel he perhaps may have to reinvent himself as a player slightly as well? Because at Toronto, he was very different to the other outlet that was Josie Altador. I understand the differences between him and Zardes, but there's not much difference at you're all. Right. Cal, this is why you're the best, because you're not <laughs> just a, a commentator. You see the game from an analytical and an analysis standpoint, and you're right. And that's a good point, because... If, you, if you've got two players that are essentially like for like, well, who are you picking? Jossie Zardes, who's the number nine for the U.S. right now, you saw in the most important game, he was picked to be the, the guy leading the line. So then, okay, so is he, is he Greg Berhalter's number one right now? Is he a guy that just scored 20 goals for the Columbus crew that they've just made a $1.4 million a year investment in as a player? Yeah, so they're giving him every shot to be the man. Make no mistake about it, no, no coach, no GM, no owner wants to look silly elevating a, a number nine American player in Zardes to a designated player status and then have that fail or not be a rousing success. He's going to get every benefit of the doubt, every opportunity to succeed. And if that's at the cost of Jordan Hamilton's development or progression or quite frankly success at the club, I'm not so sure that they're necessarily too concerned with it. Now, having said that, Jordan Hamilton... He's got he's got an uphill battle, but what's your mentality going to be if he wants to stay in this in this league and make a career out of this game? There's going to be opposition that you have to fight and claw your way for to try to get minutes and then continue to do what you do. Score goals when you come on in appearances, make it impossible for Caleb Porter to keep you off the field and and where he's got to find a way to get you on the field in games. If it's next to Zardes or if he's got to try to adapt a formation or if he's got to adapt his game to be able to play in a different position. It's not an easy switch for Jordan Hamilton, and uh, mm. you know I wish, I wish him all the best. It's like you said, 
you feel a, a hint of disappointment for him. But obviously they see something for him because they traded for him. So you never trade for a player that you don't actually see something, you know, valuable in. So otherwise that's really bad business. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. And as we sort of dive into the depths of the deal here as well, um, I'm intrigued to get your opinion on this, Kendra, and, and how you could possibly see why Toronto would have done this. So as we mentioned, Patrick Mullins has gone to TFC. 50K in TAM. There's an international spot, a part of the deal as well. And the right of first refusal on an unnamed player. Am I getting the sense that Toronto have something up their sleeve here? When you and I were talking about that before we started recording, because it was, it's trying to make sense of some of these deals. And I think anytime it's really hard for us, we can we can sit here and speculate and we can be pundits on these conversations and these deals, but we're not the ones in the room having these conversations, whether it's GMs or sporting directors or coaching staff or ownership or whatever. So clearly they have something else in mind, a player with first of right refusal. Like we, we don't know who that is. And, and it, you know, it's 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 hard to speculate in the sense that we we can go in with an opinion and have a thought on why they're doing something. But and we can criticize. We can be criticized or we can heap praise on somebody for the decisions that they're making. But we never know what the real story is, no matter who you talk to or what kind of sources you have until it's written out on paper and it's put out there publicly on what they're trying to accomplish and who those players are. There's so many swirling rumors and things going on that it's tough to. It, it's tough to say, but clearly they have something in mind. Did anyone see, by, by the way, like all the, the speculation about Sebastian Javinko being around an awful lot in Toronto yes. lately? <laughs> yes, which would be, that would Mending be a story. Mending some fences a little bit? Give it to me. I want it. I want it. Yes, I, I want it. A story. Who's going who's gonna, to like take their foot out of the mouth first, right? I mean, <laughs> the GM and the ownership or Sebastian Javinko, because they did not leave on good terms. How do they make it happen, though, is right. the problem with Pozuelo? I was desperately disappointed when I found out he was leaving MLS, so I would welcome him back with open arms. <laughs> who's, your, who's a bigger man crush for you, Javinko or Pozuelo? Cal? It's far too early in the relationships to commit to that right now. I, I'm not <laughs> sure. You know? You're non-committal <laughs> now. You know? Now you're backing down on your full... Yeah, how long were you dating Stacey before you committed? Uh, Sorry, you're just, a non- it, Are you just a non-committal type? <laughs> not that. He committed to Pozuelo after, after his first <laughs> game, true, after he chipped true. his first penalty that's kick. Yeah. It was love at first sight for Cal Williams and Alejandro Pozuelo. Love oh. at first chip. Um, also, Rubinho from Columbus Crew heading to Orlando yep. City for some allocation money as well. So the, the moves continue that one obviously on a little bit smaller of a scale, but more more moves but to for come. Hamilton, going back to Hamilton real quick, we talk about it being kind of a Debbie Downer that he's leaving and where he's put his mark on the academy in Toronto, but, I mean, maybe he just needs to change the scenery too. Like, yes, I know he's going there and Zardis is there and he's an American DP and they just, you know, put all this money, but look at what Zardis even going to Columbus did for him right. and getting out of L.A. So I don't know how they're going to use Hamilton and, and Zardis in front of him is tough, but he might just need to change the scenery too. Like sometimes you just, maybe it's worse sometimes being a hometown kid. Yeah. And the pressure and, and what goes on around there. I don't know. I mean, I've never done it, but who knows? We'll see. Intriguing stuff. We'll keep our eyes fixated on the developments of Jordan Hamilton at Columbus Crew. Next up, though, for Minnesota United, it is FC Dallas. A game christened once again, as they probably all will now, moving forward over the course of the next couple of months, as the biggest game in club history <laughs> since this team has come into Major League Soccer. Jamie, I'll start with you as a former FC Dallas player. What have we made of them so far this campaign? Consistently inconsistent. You go to the three games before they started Open Cup play, win, loss, draw. Go to the four games uh, since they started the Open Cup play, win, loss, two draws. 
So having said that, who is FC Dallas? Well, they're a team that has exceeded my expectations of what they would be able to accomplish this season. I think so far for FC Dallas, them sitting fifth place in the Western Conference, knowing what their mentality was going into the season that they were going to hashtag play the kids. <laughs> I think that if you said you could get to the middle of July, you'd be in fifth place in the Western Conference. I think they'd say, if that's worst case scenario, we'll gladly take that. And I think right now for FC Dallas, um, I don't think that they're a team that will, um, I still don't think that they will be a team that makes the playoffs simply because I see them fading towards the, the second half of the season. Uh, when games get really important and, and games start to really truly matter each and every week, inexperience is something that is costly at times. There's a sense of naivete that can benefit a player where you don't maybe understand how massive a game truly is and you just go out and play and you don't put too much pressure on yourself. But I still think that Portland makes the playoffs. I still think San Jose is on the ascendancy. Houston and Dallas for me are the team that fights over seven and eight right now. And I think that Houston still has two games fewer right now. So I think they're sitting two points back from FC Dallas. I think they could easily surpass FC Dallas. And, and as we head to the, you know, the latter half of the second half of the season, the final third of the season, I just don't see FC Dallas being able to, to put it together. And I think they finished eighth in the Western conference this season. So um, with that ahead of this matchup, I think Minnesota United have to make sure that they um, know who they're dealing with a, a team that's sometimes unpredictable for better or for worse. Luchi Gonzalez has this team playing with a lot of freedom and belief in what they have in within themselves but within the group i think at times they can be disjointed i don't think the combination of dominic baji or jesus ferreira whoever's first choice uh, on the day at number nine is going to be too much for the the back four of minnesota united the pairing of Coleman or Coleman or boxel whichever one is preferred on the day next to eichel para um i think that athletically they can hang with the speed of Dominic Baji and I think the guile in which Jesus Ferreira has, I think you've got some some smart defenders in there as well. So I think if Minnesota United can win the midfield battle, uh, it's at home at Allianz Field. I think that's also plays a big part in this matchup. Um, I see Minnesota United taking this win 2-0. Kendra, what have you made of Dallas so far? Um, the big piece for me always with them is Barrios. I mean, I know he's really hit or miss and, and he you know fell out of favor for a bit and but I think his speed and his ability to be dangerous um, could, and, and we've seen Hassani Dotson stand up against a lot of players in this league in his brief time. And, and you know, Chase Gasper, so certainly getting into the fold now too, but I just feel like Barrios and Paxton Pomacall are going to be the two, two of the players that need to be reckoned with for FC Dallas. And I'm so impressed with, as we talk about this play of the kids, and then you didn't talk about, let's not forget about Jesse Gonzalez and goal. I mean, you just said to me the other day, my God, how is he only 24? You know, because it feels like he's been in the league for an eternity and he's really matured and he's saved them a lot of times in between the pipes for FC Dallas. So I I do think that, um, I don't know who this FC Dallas team is and I do think there is an inconsistency about them and you don't know which team is going to show up, but um, they're going to be... I think Barrios is always one of the players for me that has the ability to really kind of slice and dice his way and use his pace and get in behind, whether he's starting a little bit more central or starting on the wing and then getting service or cutting in or taking players on. And he's feisty. 
So he's one of the players for me that um, I think Minnesota United might have their hands full. And uh, I still think Minnesota comes away with a victory, even on a short week. I do. I think there's at home, they're riding high. It's confidence. Yeah. I would go 3-1 Minnesota. Um, you mentioned him there, uh, Paxton Pomichel. Yeah. I know you had a conversation with Tab Ramos, the mm -hmm. U20s USA mm -hmm. manager. What can we expect from him? Why has he been able to blossom, particularly over the last six months? Well, I think Luigi Gonzalez gave him a little bit more freedom and a little bit more confidence than maybe Oscar Pereira had done previously. Um, I think going to the U20 World Cup and, and playing in Poland and playing under Tab, who has a ton of confidence in him, has helped him. This is not a kid who's lacking confidence. He's not arrogant, but he has the ability to read the game. And as Tab was telling me, the game slows down for him. He sees everything two or three steps ahead of time. And when he gets the ball, the game slows down. He knows where he's going before he gets it. He can play on the wing. He can play a 10. He just reads the game so well. He's very mature. A locker room full of, you know, 30-year-old professionals doesn't bother him. It doesn't, he's not a rah-rah, yell-in-your-face kind of a leader, but he can lead by example. He did it with the 20s, and he's done it now with FC Dallas. So I think part of it is just as slowly but surely we've seen his confidence blossom, and I don't think he was rushed into that role with FC Dallas of like, hey, you got to start and play every minute. As a, as a youngster, he's kind of come into that and grown into that, and they were a little bit patient with him, and now he is the guy that you see, like, when he's on the ball, He's going to do something with it. I mean, he's dangerous. And uh, when he shoots, it's on target. You know, I mean, there's certain things just with his decision-making ability, whether to pass or shoot or take someone on. It seems like he's always making the right decision. And I think that's what he's been able to do with this Dallas team. And then now, you know, and we saw him do it with the U-20s as well. Yeah. Finally, Jeremy, before we wrap things up, give me the Minnesota United perspective. After a 6-1 thumping of New Mexico United, what should we expect now against FC Dallas? I think you, if you're Adrian Heath, you walk back into the locker room, uh, in the training room on, on Thursday, on Friday, and on Saturday with the same message. If you want to keep being in the lineup week in and week out, you need to be as ruthless as you have been in front of goal. You need to be as cutthroat as you can be because these are Western Conference matchups. I am, this is me speaking as Adrian Heath, I am basing what my decisions will be for the crunch time of this season based on games like this. So if you want to buy my good faith, win these games. Go out, continue to do the right things at the right times. Don't try to play outside of the group and show how good you are and take it on an individualistic manner. Play within the team. Express yourself when the opportunities are right and in the right moments. Do your work defensively and be as ruthless, cutthroat, mean as you need to be. I don't care if it's 1-0, 2-0 in the dying moments of the game. Do whatever it takes because right now there is a, a mentality that's as cutthroat as I've ever seen of any Adrian Heath teams ever. I've seen glimpses of it before, but right now mm. this is full throttle. This is, and I actually heard him say this in the game last night next to him uh, on the sideline when it was 4-1 at the end of the first half. He turned around, and, and I don't think he meant for anyone to hear it, he said it to Mark Watson, and Mark must have said something to him, but he goes, I don't care what the score is. Keep going. And I was like, you're right. Yeah. Because it, it doesn't matter if it's 4-1 at home, he, 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 you know, in the Open Cup against the USL Championship side, or if it's a Western Conference matchup, or any MLS matchup against FC Cincinnati. Keep going. There's no time to be nice. This is professional sports. You've got to win these games. You need to be convincing. You need to keep sending the message that they are right now to the rest of the league because what's the mentality like for other teams coming in to Allianz Field playing Minnesota United right now off the back of six wins in a row for this team? 
you think anybody wants to come and play Minnesota United at Allianz Field right now? So if you're Adrian Eath, it's it's your job to keep that mentality going with this group and keep that belief where the the shoulders are pin packed, the the heads held high. That's what I'd be saying to the team if I'm Adrian Heath. Guys, thank you very much indeed. Wait, what's your prediction for Saturday? We've given ours. Um, <laughs> I will go. I've done two zero. She's three one. I'll go two one Minnesota. Okay. I fancy it. I really do. I think it could. So I'm be... the only one that wants Vito Minoni to have a record-breaking shutout on the day. <laughs> I would like him to, but <laughs> I'm just, you know. They've got a goal in them, is what you think, they, huh? I, I think they have All a right. goal in them on the counter or something along those lines. You know, I, I think Dominic Baggio may very well get mm. a chance mm. or two to get in behind. Okay. Um, particularly if, if Pomical continues to, to glisten as he has done as well. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Anyway, my thanks, as always, to Kindred E. St. Aubin, to Jamie Watson, and to our producer, Tyson Hill. Uh, you can join us for fourth versus fifth, a gargantuan Western Conference clash on Saturday. Fox Sports North Plus, 6.30 p.m. You can also listen to the coverage on Score North as well. A big game coming your way between Minnesota United and FC Dallas. As always, thank you so much for listening, and you've been listening to a Minnesota United production.